Romans chapter 12. Romans, but just the kind of background is, is Paul the Apostle sitting in Corinth with this offering that's been given by all the churches to take back to Jerusalem, to the church in Judea, which is struggling with a famine at this point in time, and people are, the prices have gone through the roof. In regards to food, for whatever little food is available, people can't afford it. There's all sorts of hardships going on. And in some measure, it gave the church in Jerusalem and Judea an opportunity to be a witness in the community. And it gave the churches in, in Asia and uh, that Paul was collecting money from an opportunity to be a witness to their brothers and sisters in Judea, whom they had never seen or never met. And while Paul was there sat in Corinth waiting for a ship to take him probably back to Caesarea Maritimo at the top end there the, the, the place that the city that Herod built on, on the coast he decided to write this letter now we'll learn from later in the letter that he didn't actually pen it all but he dictated it all um, most of it he wrote but some of it he, he actually dictated uh, we understand from history that his eyesight wasn't very good, he had a real problem with his eyes and it's possible that at this point in time that he was struggling with his eyesight and therefore he had to bring in a scribe to finish the letter or maybe to write parts of the letter but you know he comes in chapter 12 and he tells us you know that we have to be that living sacrifice unto the Lord and and, and we spoke about that last week that you know that the word living and sacrifice are kind of two words that can't quite live together because sacrifice indicates a death and to be a living sacrifice indicates that we have to die to something and it's really self we have to die to that when the Holy Spirit comes in he does that work he does that transformation work and again Paul speaks about that you know, that don't be conformed to the things of the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind at the start of chapter 12. And we said, you know, we can either be conformers, we can either be always out there trying to, trying to please the world and try to please the people around about us, or we can be transformers, we can be people who bring this radical new idea. And it is to a lot of people a new idea that Jesus Christ died for their sin and that rose again that they might have a new life in him, that there is fresh starts in Jesus Christ. And so as we work through chapter 12, we come on to chapter 13, because Paul is saying, if you really are that living sacrifice, then that, you know, there's things that you should be doing that would be an indication that you have truly saved, that you have truly been converted. And these things, and I've said it many times, they're not, something that you do because you have to do. It's not an issue of, well, well now you're a Christian. And so, and so many times I've heard it, when we get somebody saved, and then they start laying down the law, well, that's it, you're a Christian, now you can't do this, and you can't do that, and you can't do the next thing. That's not our job. And I'm, I'm thankful to God that that's not my job as the pastor. Because at that point in time, I would be wanting to be the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit tells us how we should behave, the things we should do, the things we shouldn't do. There's this process that the Bible talks about sanctification, and it really is just a, a slow change. 
It says God picks on the things in your life and puts them in an order and says, right, we're going to deal with this issue now. Do you want to deal with it? And God will never force you to deal with any issue in your life. But he'll stand and wait until you're ready to deal with it. And then as he deals with that issue, the next issue comes up. And so slowly we're transformed. And we hope and pray, and I hope and pray that you know, the things that were acceptable to me ten years ago are not acceptable to me now. Not because I have to do it, but because I love the Lord Jesus that bit more. That, that personal relationship is that bit deeper than it was at that point in time. And hopefully in ten years' time, if the Lord tarries, that the things that are acceptable today will not be acceptable then. That You know, Paul talks about it in, I think it's 2 Corinthians, where he says, you know, and I paraphrase this, I can't remember it off part, but he said something to the effect that, you know, even although outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed into the very likeness of Christ. And that's the truth of it. You know, there's nobody can say that they're not getting old. You know, let's say, in fact, the Medically they tell you, but the time you get to 21 or 22, you start to die. That's, uh, you might not notice that when you're 21 or 22, but when you get to my age, you notice it, believe me. That's, uh, but you die physically. But the wonderful thing about Christ is that there's no, there's no end to his depth. There's no beginning and no end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. You know, he, the more you go into him, the deeper he is. And so therefore spiritually you never need to stop growing because anything that stops growing dies. When you stop to grow, that's just we know that ourselves as I just pointed out. By the time you get to twenty one or twenty two you're probably as, as physically sizable as you're ever going to be. Well, maybe not round about here right now, but <laughs> you understand what I'm saying to you. And, and so when you stop maturing to that point in time you actually start to in some measure to die but Paul at the start in fact we're at verse 3 here in chapter 13 of Romans as we work our way through this if you want to catch up with the study it's on the website uh, I've now kind of switched over the website we're now calvarykerluk.org not .com so it's a wee bit more up to date it's a bit less 70s and 80s and more kind of 21st century I hope um, so anyway you can catch up with that. All the studies are up there. But Paul says in chapter 13, verse 3, he says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. When we recognize what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, there's no room for boasting. There's no room for self-aggrandizement. We're called ministers because ministers, if we take it out of the Greek, is a word which means servant. Or even, if you take it to its bottom degree, may mean slave in certain circumstances. So we're servants to each other. And you know, I'm always reminded of the old brethren hymn that says, Jesus first yourself last and others in between. And that's the way it should be. There shouldn't be a problem. We should, we, we should never think too highly of ourselves. It's, all this comes through God's grace. And that grace really is undeserved favour. God putting his hand upon each of our lives. And gifting each of our lives in such a manner that he can be, he can be blessed through it. If God is blessing your service for him. 
It's for his glory. It's not so that we can run around saying, look what God's doing with me. It just doesn't work that way. We spoke about it last week in some measure that, you know, we get speakers and we get bands and things that come around and, and they, want, they want huge amounts of money before they'll come and play at your church or before they'll come and speak at your church. And in some measure I can understand them wanting to cover expenses, but at the end of the day I think sometimes it gets, it gets out of hand that they're really not trusting God for, for what they want to do. You know, when I spoke to K.P. Johannan in India, he spoke to me and he said, you know, he says, he says we, we can't ask the people in the Western world to give up the lifestyle that they have totally because that's the way they've been brought up, that's the culture they live in. He says, but if everybody just lived that wee bit simpler, there would be much more to go around for the blessings of God and the people. Well, he was talking about the people in India. And God really is doing a work in India. There are people being saved in huge numbers over there. And so verse 4 here we see, if we've not to look upon ourselves as being higher than we ought to be, Paul says in verse 4, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same functions, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show merciful mercy, do it cheerfully. Within the body of Christ, Paul's saying here, there should always be unity, but there should never be uniformity. We're all different. We're all unique in the sense that God made us unique and in the sense that when we were saved we all have that unique relationship with Jesus Christ we all come the same way yes we do we all come through the blood of Jesus we all come through the renewal of the Holy Spirit in our lives but we're all different and we all have that different relationship with Christ the, the, the gifts that God gives each of us might not be totally evident to one another until we get deeper into Christ, until we allow that sanctification process to take place within us. It's sometimes we, 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 instead of thinking too highly of ourselves, we think too little of ourselves. How could God use me? Now what can I offer God? What have I got that God really needs? Well, to be fair, we don't have anything that God really needs. He can do it all himself. But his desire is for his children to grow up in him and to be used by him to proclaim the gospel and the good news that there is a new life in Christ and that we don't need to live in the world anymore. One of the things that we should see out of this passage is that we should never be jealous of each other's ministries. There are people who are gifted in many different directions but we have to be careful that we don't look covetously upon the way somebody else has been used by the Lord God has given you a gift maybe more than one gift and you use it to the best of your ability some people are singers I'm not um, and some people are, are musicians some people are teachers 
Some people are encouragers, Paul says. Some people are, are, are show mercy. In other words, they're, they're, good at, they're good at forgiving people. Because sometimes we're not always good at forgiving people. And some of these gifts that we need to ask God for. We should serve the, law, the Lord in love. And he will bless your ministry. If we truly serve the body in love. Then whether it's teaching or tea making. God will bless it. And he'll give you the opportunity through it to serve him. It's alright saying that I'm standing up here as a teacher, but that's only because I know the gift that God has given me. It doesn't make me any better than any of the rest of you. It doesn't make me the top pin because I stand up here on a Sunday. There are people in here who are far more gifted than I'll ever be. And I want to encourage their ministry. I want to see them being built up in the Lord. I want to see them moving on in the Lord. Because I hate to tell you, but one of these days I'm not going to be here. And uh, you guys are going to have to go on with it. So you need to step up and use the gifts that God has given you. But we must be careful that we never sacrifice unity for individuality. And the converse, we must never sacrifice individuality for unity. We need to be one in the one body. And as individuals and as people gifted in different directions, we need to be able to show that. You know, I know we're a bit light in the ground this morning because the bank holiday weekend. But you know, when I look out here on a Sunday morning, I think such a diverse group of people who in some measure may not have ever had anything in common with one another all their lives may not have ever come in contact with any each another because there's no commonality but when we, when we accept Christ as Lord and Saviour the commonality is that loving spirit that's in us it's that just knowing that you know when you meet somebody you think this guy's a Christian because just because of the way they are you know that you know and, uh, and that's the way it should be we spoke about it last week that you know it's, we've been on uh, the, the cruise ship salvation if you want to call it that and irrespective of the problems that we have on the ship at times the ship's going and it's going into heaven and it's going to dock in the right place at the right time so we we'll have to remember that the gifts that God gives are given on the basis of merit are not given on the basis of merit but by God's grace we don't deserve anything from God and yet he chooses to gift us so don't ever think that because God is using you in a particular area and he's using you well you think that you're having brownie points with God because you, you don't God is impartial he distributes the gifts to all as he sees fit it's his choice not our choice all we do is walk in it. That's all he asks us to do. Here's what I want you to do. Walk in it. You know, and I've said this before. If you don't think you're gifted in anything, I want you to think back to the, to the situation that occurred with Jesus on the, on, on the side of the mountain when he had all these people following him. 5,000 men were told, plus the women and children. And, and Philip came to him and said, you know, we need feed these people you know they've been following us all day and nobody's got anything to eat and Jesus said well feed them and Philip said 
And for a minute, Jesus, it would take a year's wages to feed this lot. And even if we had the money, where do we go to buy the food? There's nowhere to buy it. And what did Jesus say to him? So what do you have? What have you got? And one wee boy came up with five loaves and two fishes. And Jesus said, that'll do. And he blessed it. And he performed a miracle with it. And that's all he's asking from you. He's not asking you to, to give or, or, or to contort yourself into a position that you don't want to be in. He's just asking you, well, what do you have? Give me what you have and I'll do the miracle with it. That's really what he's trying to say. And just talking about these gifts, Paul says that the gifts are given purely by grace. But you know, it doesn't stop men from self-exaltation as to how well God has gifted them. You know, it frightens me at times that I see within, and particularly, I suppose, in America, because they have such huge mega churches, that some of the pastors over there, they're treated like rock stars. You know, you listening? They're treated like rock stars. And it does nothing for their humility. They end up in situations where they shouldn't be because they think God's using me. I'm the great guy. This place couldn't run without me. Oh yes it can. And sometimes they fall into the hole and they realise that self-exaltation and listening to the crowd are not the right thing to do. When Paul talks about prophecy here, he talks about people, if you want to prophesy, prophesy to the level of your faith. And he's, you know, but every time we speak the word of God, we prophesy. Every time that you, that a verse of the Lord comes alive in your heart and you say, you know, this is just what Brian needs to hear, or this is just what Robin needs to hear, that word becomes prophetic. It's maybe not in the context that it's in in the, in the Bible, but it becomes almost the rima word of God that just speaks into your life in that situation. Here you are. This is what you need. This is the little diamond that you need at this point in time. And sometimes we don't have the faith to go and deliver it. It takes us, we think, oh... Oh, this, really, this is something that could really speak to somebody but oh, I don't know whether I could go and do it well do it take that step of faith use the word of God allow God to work it through you and you know the thing that comes out of that is that if you're actually getting a prophetic word through the word of God you're getting it because you're reading the word of God and that is the important thing the fact that you're reading the word Acts 17.11 You check the scriptures daily and make sure that you know that you've been told is the truth. Be like the Bereans. Be that people that check the word of God. The Jewish people in some measure as we've spoken about before they missed they missed the coming of Jesus because they weren't reading their Bibles. It's all there in the Old Testament. Paul's sitting here in Corinth writing this letter to the Romans. He's never been to the church in Rome. And, and the people there, it's, a, it's a, a mixture of Jews and it's a mixture of Gentiles within the church. And, of course, Gentiles are just non-Jews, so it could be anybody from Parthians to you know, Italians, Romans, the whole lot. But it's only through reading the Word that that prophetic influence will come. 
in relation to the sort of teaching and encouragement he says you know if you're a teacher teaching if you're an encourager encourage and in some measure to me those two are tied together because if we're only taught we become fat Christians we become pew warmers you know if all you ever did was sit in your chair all day and eat all you would do is become fat and lazy but you've got to get up there you've got to be encouraged and exhorted to say well this is this is what this is what God is saying to me today I want to use it to his glory that's what Paul's saying you know get out there and do it if you're a teacher then go out there and teach and if you're an encourager go out there and encourage we don't want to be we don't want to be fat Christians we want to be doers of the word and not just hearers of the word only you know it's a, it's I always laugh because I always have this sort of wee um, scenario comes up whenever I think about this that you know the guy that goes for the job and the fellow says can you drive? he says yep I can drive he says okay well you've got the job can I see your license? he says well I've not got a license he says well I thought you said you could drive he says well I can I've read all the books he says but have 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 you any experience of driving? Well, I've read all the books and I've passed the theory test. But have you ever been out on the road? No. Well, you can't drive. And that's sometimes the way we get, that's sometimes the way the church goes, that we've read all the books, we've got all the theory, but we've lost the spirit of the thing. We don't put it into action. We don't become the doers of the word. We just want to be hearers of the word and not the doers. And he says, you know, if, if you're giving, then give liberally. Sometimes people who have been blessed with so much and they stop giving and they wonder why the resources dry up. Because God gives us it all. If he gives you and you've got plenty, then give liberally. That's what give cheerfully I mean that's always what we say you know God loves the cheerful giver and, and, and the word in the Greek as you scholars will know is the word is hilarious God loves the hilarious giver here's the money go and get on with it so uh, you know uh, if you're well resourced and, and, and you stop giving to God then don't wonder why your resources might dry up because you're not doing with them what God has asked you to do, He's gifted you. I mean, it might not seem, it might not seem properly plausible that, that God would gift you in such a way, but He does. He gifts many people in such a way. I remember one American pastor took me through his church, and it was huge. I mean, they were just enormous, and I mean, in some measure, he was almost boasting. I was quite kind of tired of listening to him by the end of the day, but. He says, when I stand here and preach in the pulpit, he says, I can see 12 millionaires sitting in my church. He's now lost his job and the church has failed. And I don't know what to say. All of this demonstrates that if you think too highly of yourself, then maybe the resources will dry up. Keep yourself, keep yourself humble before the Lord. All the body works together. Being merciful to people. 
That's what Paul says, you know, if, you've, if you truly want to be that love and sacrifice and you want to move in these gifts that God has given you, being merciful means swallowing your pride and offering forgiveness. This is a gift that I would encourage you to covet because it's one of the greatest things that you could do. It's when you have been hurt, when you have been put down and you have been offended to be able to say in all trueness, I forgive you for that. And let's just go forward from, from that point onwards. So verse 9, he says, Love must be sincere and hate what is evil and cling to what is good and be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, and share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Again, I've explained to you before, but that word sincere is a Greek word which means without wax. It refers to the, the potters who tried to cheat. They made pots and when they put them in the kilns, they cracked slightly. They weren't much good because they wouldn't hold water or anything else. So they filled the cracks with wax and then painted over it and sold it as an A grade instead of a B grade. And of course, when the people took it home and maybe sat it beside something warm, uh, the wax melted and whatever was in it all ran out so it's, that, that, that was insincere and that's what Paul says we must be sincere there should be no, there should be no hidden agenda within us no bit that will come apart as soon as it's put under pressure no hidden agendas he says that we should be devoted to one another and the word devoted there and, and the word that's loved here is, is, the, is the Greek agape agapeo that that unconditional love, it's more than just friendship. It's more than just being pals with one another. Because, you know, see, when I, was a, when I was unsaved and I was a drinker, I had plenty of pals. Because I had plenty of money to spend and drink. I didn't really have plenty of money to spend and drink, but I did anyway. And, uh, but I had plenty of pals. But as soon as I got saved, and all that stopped, they all went away. Because they didn't want friends. They didn't want a devoted relationship with somebody else. They just wanted pals. Somebody that they could somebody they could drink with. They didn't want to listen to anybody, they just wanted to talk about themselves. As I once did as well. Honour one another. Put yourself last for the sake of others. And do it gladly. Paul says rejoice in it don't think that you're putting somebody else first and if you do that and then think well I'm a bit muffed about that well don't do it if you can't do it with a joyful heart then don't do it it's the same way you're giving if you can't do it hilariously then don't give God will supply our needs anyway you know the money that's in the bag this morning I've said it a few times. If you need it, take it. We don't need it. God has given us and blessed us it and we'll use it. But we don't need it per se. God will supply what we need. Bless those who persecute you. Verse 14. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. 
Paul's main theme here is that, that, that pride is the killer of the Christian. And it is. When we become prideful and we get offended and we get upset, then we fall out with people. And the unfortunate thing is, you know, there are more people leave churches because they fall out with each other than anything to do with doctrine or anything to do with, with, with some, something in the Bible. It's always to do with personal relationships. It's always to do with us lack of being able to honour each other. It's always to do with us lack of being able to forgive each other and be merciful to each other. You know, I've heard people say to me, you know, I'm a Christian, all right, but, you know, I'm not a doormat. And I say, well, I'm sorry, you are a doormat. And you've got welcome written right up your back. You know, and that's the bottom line. If you can't do that, then it's something that we need to really pray for. That God would give us the ability to do that. To be the humble people. If we're all humble before each other and we all honour each other before each other, then we shouldn't really have too many problems. There shouldn't be too many arguments. So it's pride that's the killer. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful at verse 17 to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You know, I was just thinking this week, and I've written it down here, it shocks me that Paul has to say these things. It really does, it shocks me. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. It shocks me, but I think, well, the church has never changed. It's still full of sinners. You know, it's, uh, it's just, we're sinners saved by grace. We can't be perfect. But when we're imperfect, when we are that insincere way, when we have got that crack in us and we try to fill it up with wax, then we really need to seek each other and prefer each other above one another. As far as it's possible... As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. It's up to us as Christians to make the difference. We are the ones who are called to go and make the peace. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't hold the grudge. Don't be offended. If you've been in a situation where there has been problems, remember you're on the ship of salvation and there always will be problems come up, but we're all heading in the same direction. When we've got problems, we need to go and, you know, I always say, n- n- never say sorry to anybody because sorry, repl- it, it requires nothing. It requires no reaction. You can say sorry to somebody all day and they, they never need to reply to it. But when you go to somebody and say, for whatever part I had in this situation with you, will you forgive me? It requires an answer. If they say yes, I will forgive you then the matter's resolved and we move on. If they say, no, I can't forgive you, then you have to go away and pray for that situation because you've done what Paul has asked you to do here as far as it's possible. And it depends on you live at peace with everybody. Do your best to live at peace with everybody. Make sure that we're not living at odds with one another and sometimes the peace is broken and we always seem to think it's the other person that breaks the peace and it's us that break the peace and through pride and, and all the rest of it we convince ourselves that it's not my fault and sometimes it is and we have to be prepared to go to somebody and ask for that forgiveness and I would encourage you when people come and offer that forgiveness or ask for it then give it 
and give it gladly. If you can't give it gladly, then don't give it at all. But you really need to examine where you are in the things of the Lord. How much do you love the Lord? How much do you understand about what God has done for you? It's not out of, it's not out of, it's, it's not out of ritual or duty that Paul's asking you to do this. It's because you love the Lord that you will love his brothers and sisters, that you'll be sincere with them. Unfortunately, not everyone wants to live at peace, but we have to try our best to do that. And just quickly to finish, do not take revenge, verse 19, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, Feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will keep burning coals in his head. Now that's come out of Proverbs 25, 21 and 22. And I think I misled you. We're actually in Romans chapter 12 here, are we? Aye, it was a link on to Romans 13. Sorry about that, guys. Um, You know, and, and... in Proverbs it says, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals in his head. Now, to heap burning coals in somebody's head is really to bring them into that place of humility. If you're nice to somebody, it's hard for them to stay angry with you. You know, when, when you're in a marriage situation and, and you're really mad at your husband or your wife, and they start to give you a quiet answer back, and they say, What would you like for your dinner? Would you like... You know, I've got a nice fillet steak for you. You And it's hard. It's hard to stay angry. It's hard to to continue that. You know, you're looking for a, you're spoiling for the fight, and they won't respond. And that's the way it should be. And and, and they heap burning coals in your head. They bring you to that place of humility, and they make you think, mm, that was a bit, a bit wrong, a bit out of order. But the one thing that it does say in Proverbs 25, and I don't know why Paul didn't repeat it, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And doing this, you will heap burning coals in his head, and God will reward you. That's the finish of the statement. And that's the reward that we'll look for from God. That's the reward that God will say, good and faithful servant. There's no room for revenge. It's God's job. And his revenge will be just and righteous. You don't need to worry if you can't make peace with people. If you're in a right situation, God will take revenge eventually. It might not be now. And I don't talk about revenge in a bad sense. God is always righteous and he's always just and he's always right. And when Paul's talking here, he's talking about your enemy. If your enemy's thirsty, feed him. If he's, if he's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. This is your enemy. So how do you destroy your enemy? The best way to destroy an enemy is to make him your friend. And if you do that, if you burn, pour burning coals in his head, then the Lord will reward you for it. So I'm sorry about the mix-up in the scriptures there this morning, but... Chapter 13, as we'll, we'll look at next week, is going to go on and, and, and amplify the, 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 the notion of you know, how we should behave as Christians. Only Paul's going to widen it out to how we should behave towards the government. So I encourage you this morning, if there are issues, 
get yourself before the Lord, the answer isn't prayer really. I mean, if we, if we can't settle disputes between each other, if there's an unforgiveness that's living in there, if we're not honouring each other above ourselves, if we're feeling that, uh, what would we say, antagonism towards people because we're being, we feel as if we're being forced to do something, don't do it. Take it to the Lord in prayer. He can change your heart. He can soften you. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you and praise you for your word this morning, Lord. We just thank you that you are from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. And Lord, we thank you for the many gifts that you pour out upon us, Lord. We thank you for the very food that we eat and for the air that we breathe on a daily basis, Lord. Without it, we would be nothing. We thank you, Lord, just for being able to turn on the tap and have a drink of water, Lord. What a gift it is just to be able to drink clean water, as there are many in this world who don't have it, Lord. And Lord, for all these spiritual gifts that you give us as well, Lord. As Paul said to Timothy, stir up the gift that is within you, Lord. Help us to stir up those gifts that are within us, Lord. Help us to be a people that honour each other, that look after each other, that live in peace with each other, Lord. Help us to be that light to the world, Father, that salt to the earth. So be with us, Lord, and bless us this day. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thanks for coming and the Lord bless you. If you need to go, go with God's blessing. If you can stay